-hmm. Behavior never lies. Watch people's behavior. Um, you know, I watch people's feet, not their lips. For years growing up, I watched people's lips, what they would say out of their mouth. And then I would get in, you know, upset because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this person didn't say what they're going to do. That's the condition of being a human being. Most people have great ideas and great intentions, but they lack the fall through and the consistency to that. I used to chase the ROI all the time, return on investment. And over the course of time, that has evolved into what I call return on life. Hello, everyone. This is Randy Dick on the Return on Life podcast, which is not about the ROI, return on investment, but about the return on life, the ROL. And I love, love, love my guest that I've got today. I've got Sir Darren Jacklin, which we're going to talk a little bit about the Sir in a bit. But Darren's an amazing individual. He's uh, journeyed through so much. Like the journey is so rich, some highs some lows but very very rich and darren's a speaker an author philanthropist philanthropist yeah Absolutely. i struggle with that word too it took me a while to get same thing with humanitarian it took me a bit to uh to say that word philanthropist there we go philanthropist anyways it's a tough word for me but it's an important word such an important word and of course coach mentor to so many people in co in fact Darren's coached and mentored me in so many ways too. So welcome here, Darren. I'm grateful to be here and grateful to be in service. Anything that you'd like to share about yourself that maybe we didn't touch on the quick intro? You, you know, I think uh, really re relating to people is just understanding that in life, we're either coming from a problem or in a problem or we're heading towards a problem. And the key thing is, is that, you know, um, our backstories of wherever we come from, our environments growing up can really be fuel for our future in our lives. And the key thing is to really understand is that um, in our lives, we sometimes are defined by our past, by our, our, our upbringing, our environments with our parents or our siblings, or some people may have grown up in foster homes or the different side of the railroad tracks, whatever it is. But really, when we understand that can turn that crisis into opportunities and it can fuel us for our future. Hmm, that's powerful. Hey, this is about return on life. What does that uh, that that say to you? What does return on life mean to Darren Jacklin? You know, is the juice worth the squeeze if you look at an orange? So every activity that we choose to do, anything we choose to put into our calendars uh, for our life, our to-do list for our weekly schedule or daily schedule, is the juice worth the squeeze in terms of return on life? So when we choose things that we want to do, people we hang out with, places we go, things that we do in our busy lives, is the juice worth the squeeze in terms of return on life? Is it giving us that return on energy and that return on life in terms of prosperity and abundance versus lack and scarcity? And do we feel energized after doing that? And does it create a ripple of impact to touch, move, and inspire other human beings as well? Hmm. I know you've shared this often that uh, proximity is power. Proximity is power. And I know that that gives you a lot of energy, but you give people in your area a lot of energy too. And you've given me a lot of energy. What does that mean? So um, does that also bring return on life? The, the power sure does. in the right room at the right time? Absolutely. The key thing is, is being in proximity to other people. Also, two other things is one is having a seat at the table. So when you're around centers of influence of men and women, different people, and they're working on a project involved in a deal, you want to make sure you're at the right time, at the right place, in the right room, 
with a seat at the table. You see, a lot of times people will, uh, you'll see them on social media, they'll name drop people. And they're like, I met this person at this charity event, or I was on this airplane, or I was at this rock concert, or I was at this place or this trade show, and I met this person. I'm like, great. But did you exchange contact information? Are you involved in the project they're working on? Are you involved in that new film they've got or that new real estate deal that they're doing? They're like, well, no, I didn't talk about that. See, the key thing is having a seat at the table, but also being in the conversation. Because as I talk about in my book, Until I Become, as human beings, all we are is a network of conversations. We're just, social media is a network of conversations. You and I are having a network of conversations right now. When we talk to human beings, we're just, at the grocery store, we're in a network of conversations. Mm. And I think that uh, conversation is a result of our curiosity. And often we've turned off our curiosity as a child. Uh, we need to have childlike curiosity. Daddy, daddy, Absolutely. daddy. What about this? What about that? And really, you know, if we've got great curiosity and great questions when we're sitting at the table, of course, then great things happen. For sure. And, you know, it also helps with regards to building rapport when we have curiosity, because then people get to know us like us and trust us because people's attention spans, they are very short, as you see with technology and drive-throughs and high-speed internet. In the last decade or so, people's attention spans are really short and there's a lot of research on that. And so people want to be seen today. They want to be feel like they're they're connected. They feel like they're 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 somebody to somebody else. And so when we are curious and that childlike curiosity, people think, oh my gosh, this person understands me. This person gets this, gets me. This person can relate to me. That's why a lot of times when I go yeah, speak at conferences and conventions and people want to introduce me, I talk about my adversities, my failures, my challenges, my setbacks, because people can relate more to that than they can to put somebody on a pedestal. Because when I used to see somebody that was really successful, Randy, I'd put them on a pedestal and put myself in the pit, then self-sabotage with my negative thinking. And then say, well, I, I'm not like that person. I can never be that person. And I'd just beat up myself and I'd walk away feeling more disempowered and more depressed. And I wouldn't have that return on life. Right. So now when when somebody talks about their authentic self, their vulnerable self, I relate more to that. And that gives me more return on life. Mm. Vulnerability, such a key thing. Uh, the challenges that we faced and you've got a very rich journey of challenges as, as well as wins. What are some of the crucible moments, the challenges that you've had throughout your life that have shaped, formed you to see and have this perspective? A great question. Uh, I think another thing, one thing for me was not having a calendar, uh, you know, organizing things into one place um, and having structure. Uh, I had a lot of ideas, chased a lot of shiny objects, uh, had a lot of intentions, but not follow through. And then when I started to create a structure and accountability where I put things into a calendar, what, you know, in the old days, I used to write down the paper day timer calendar. Uh, and I still do things by handwriting every day with my journal, but I had a structure. Um, where I'd put things in. So everything I wanted to do and accomplish in my life personally, I'd write into my calendar and then I'd have reminders and alarms for it. And then sometimes even accountability where I'd share my calendar with other people. That drastically changed my return on life and my return on investment, and my results in my life. Another thing is being in proximity to other like-minded people and getting around people who've already achieved what I wanted to achieve in my life personally, professionally. Because when I spent time in proximity with these people, what it does, it, it, came, it became like, oh, my gosh, I, I, can, I can achieve that. I'm just like Randy. Oh, my gosh, Randy's very similar to me. We have a lot in common, a lot of similarities. And it created my belief and my consciousness to believe that I could actually achieve it more. And it was accelerated the process. Great answer. Great answer. So influencers obviously affected all of your progress, your decision making. 
any influencer that you would say, boy, that was a that was a person, or that was a book I read, or that was an individual that I just had the opportunity to meet for five minutes that changed everything or changed a big part of what I am and who I am today. Is yeah, that comes to your mind. You know, a few different people. One, uh, Sue Urquhart in Vernon, British Columbia, Canada. Uh, I joined a Toastmasters International group. I was very insecure, low self-esteem, a lot of negative self-talk, felt very defeated and deflated in life, um, didn't have a lot of energy, a lot of motivation for my life. And I joined Toastmasters because I was really suicidal and had a lot of childhood trauma. And I joined Toastmasters and I was doing these uh, speeches in Toastmasters, learn how to build my self-confidence. And Sue Urquhart one day was the general evaluator in my Kalamaka Toastmasters club. And at the end of the Toastmasters meeting, she was given an evaluation on the entire club that evening as a general evaluator was her role that evening. And she said, I want to diverse off the meeting agenda tonight. And I want to just touch on Darren Jack and one of our club members. I believe that this club, the Kalamaka Toastmasters Club, has the potential to mentor and coach Darren Jacklin to become a world-class speaker and trainer and someone who could travel the world and serve a lot of people. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't even know who you are. Like This woman was a stranger to me, right? I didn't know most of these people in the room because I was insecure and I was scared to talk to strangers and have conversations with people. And she believed more in me, Randy, than I believed in myself. She watered, And so what I always say is she planted seeds and watered my dreams because she gave me hope and possibility that I never saw. It was a blind spot to me. She was, it was so powerful. And that woman today is responsible as a ripple of impact for me training and developing over a million people's lives over a 25 year corporate training career. Another gentleman who's passed away now was Frank McGuire. He was the co-founder of a little company called Federal Express, FedEx. Mm -hmm. And Frank told me many years ago, he said, Darren, never assume you aren't being observed. And that was one of my meetings with him when I was doing corporate training with FedEx. He said, Darren, never assume that you aren't being observed. You are always being watched and you're always being observed. And that always stuck with me, that we're always being observed. Isn't that interesting? You know, we limit our success so often. We personally limit our success, yet somebody can unlock it as easily as we lock it. And you just shared a couple of people that have unlocked your potentially your superpower your success and that is such an amazing opportunity that we each have every day and this is what i love about you darren i see this in you all the time unlocking other people's full potential and their success um do you think that's because you had these moments is that why you do it or, or what brought yeah. you to that point? I, I think the thing is I see in myself um, because of my personal growth and development and always working on myself, uh, stepping out of my comfort zone into what I call a learning zone. I see blind spots mm -hmm. and I see hidden opportunities and hidden possibilities in other people. So it's like when we go on this journey through our lives and we, 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 we overcome some obstacle or adversity or something in our lives, like I was very insecure growing up. I had very low self-confidence. And the turning point for me was when I started to keep my word because our word creates our world. When I started, because I would say, I'm going to do all these things in a day and not follow through on any of them. You know, I'm going to do my laundry and clean up my house and do all these things. I wouldn't follow through on them. And my to-do list got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And my out of integrity got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then I started to realize I was so overwhelmed because I had so many incompletions in my life. I didn't even know where to begin, even where to start. Like, oh my gosh, I got so many things I can complete on. And what I learned was always do complete work, commit to your commitments. So when you say you're gonna do something, follow through and commit to your commitments and that builds your confidence and your belief. And so when I see other people 
And because here's something to always remember, behavior never lies. Mm -hmm. Behavior never lies. Watch people's behavior. Um, you know, I watch people's feet, not their lips. For years growing up, I watched people's lips, what they would say out of their mouth. And then I would get in, you know, upset because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this person didn't say what they're going to do. That's the condition of being a human being. Most people have great ideas and great intentions, but they lack the follow through and the consistency to that. And so I watch people's feet today and see what the direction of their feet are going. Then also too, if they schedule into their calendar and does it give evidence to exist into their life? So when I meet a lot of real estate agents, for example, they say, Darren, I want to make more money. I need to make more money this quarter or this month. Okay, great. Show me your calendar. I'm like, what do you mean? Give me your mobile phone, show me your calendar, and show me the next seven days, where have you structured and scheduled into your calendar revenue-generating activities, prospecting, follow-uping, networking, asking referrals, asking for endorsements. Um, where are you doing income-producing activities? Oh, Darren, I want to create generational wealth. Great. Where does it show me in your calendar that you're watching videos on generational wealth? Have you taken out a mentor for a breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Are you taking a course on generational wealth? Are you reading a book? Are you listening to a podcast? Where does your life demonstrate that you are really committed to generational wealth? Wealth planning, mm. right? Same thing so, with exercise. People say, Darren, I'm going to release, I want to release 20 pounds. Great. Show me the next seven days where you've got accountabilities in your calendar where you're exercising. You're, you're doing physical activities. You've got a gym trainer. You've got a, a buddy system. You're walking, you're hiking. Show me where you got evidence of doing that. Why well, I don't have it scheduled in my calendar. And guess what? It's not going to happen. You know, the calendar is the telltale of all things. It's a telltale mm -hmm. of people's bank accounts. Absolutely. The telltale of their commitment. And, um, you know, we're picking on realtors a little bit with their schedules here, but it's really anybody in life. And I, yes. I, I often can say, show me your schedule like you. But how many things got changed along the way? You adjusted your schedule because something else came along that you thought was a bigger priority. But you're now actually saying to that person that you're not a priority because you changed mm -hmm. your appointment from meeting that person to saying, I can't meet now, something's come up. The commitment to your calendar says everything mm -hmm. about you. And I don't care if you, you know, somebody really incredible might be showing up tomorrow. Yes, you might have to like reschedule an entire calendar for that day, but wouldn't it be special if you kept your schedule and you fit that person in at another time that to me shows integrity of mm -hmm. how you value other people it doesn't matter where there are on, on the income scale on the life scale you treat everybody with respect absolutely and you can learn somebody something from every person some of the most impoverished people on the planet i have learned some of the greatest life lessons from you know i was in uganda east africa on a humanitarian trip a few years ago living in a mud hut for three days eating grasshoppers and crickets no running water no electricity out in a remote area no cell phone service nothing and i was just on the ground with these people around a campfire out hunting for cr crickets and grasshoppers. And I learned so much about myself and about other people, because when I arrived at this village, um, I was wearing my, um, you know, my, uh, uh, what we call a safari, or a safari outfit. It was like hiking clothes, it looked like. And when I met the villagers in, in the Uganda village, they asked me, why am I wearing a costume? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? They're like, why are you wearing a costume? Why, why are you wearing manufactured brand name clothes? And I'm like, well, that's what I do in my culture. Like, I just didn't think anything of it. That's what I've done all my life. And to them, I was hiding something. I wasn't mm -hmm. authentic. I wasn't just fully self-expressed and alive. And, and, and I have rules and I have laws where I live that I have to wear clothes. So they invited me to take my clothes off and just be free for three days and live off the land and, and connect to the earth. 
And one thing they said to me around the campfire, they said, you know, in your culture, you're not grounded. I'm like, what do you mean we're not grounded? And they said, our feet never leave the earth. Mm. I said, you live in high rises and apartment buildings and big complexes, and you're always <clears throat> off the earth in the first world. We never leave the earth. We're always grounded. So go out more and spend time putting your feet on the earth and ground yourself and just connect with nature. And I thought, wow, I need to do more of that. Now I do in my life and I structure it in my calendar. Wow, that is incredible. What an experience that would have been. It so was. grounded. So I know you hike a lot. Is this why you've got such a passion for hiking? And in fact, uh, why don't we make that a two-part question? So you sure. love hiking. Tell me a little bit about that. And tell me about your big, big, audacious goal of climbing uh, Kilimanjaro. Yeah. So during the COVID-19 global pandemic lockdown, uh, we couldn't go anywhere, couldn't travel. And I had realized when I was at home, I journal every day of my life, and I realized one of my out of integrities in my life. I realized when I was brushing my teeth and my shaving, how much I had gained weight over the years of traveling the world, eating airport food, restaurant food on the go, uh, you know, just always go, 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 and not feeling my body in terms of return on life not giving it the best nutrients and the best food and making the best healthiest choices. Cause I was go, 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 you know, it'd be 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night. I arrive into a hotel, you know, been traveling all day on an airline international and I get there and I'm like, okay, there's pizza on the menu, right? Or there's fried food. Okay. It's 1130 at night, boom, room service. And I'd eat that, then go to sleep and wake up the next morning. Oh, buffet at the hotel, boom, do that. And then rush it and just constantly making unhealthy choices. And I realized that I was over 40 pounds overweight and I was out of integrity. I was treating my body like a woodshed, not like a temple. And I realized, so I reached out to a couple of different people and I said, listen, I want to come out hiking with you. And I did this short little hike that children in elementary school could do no problem. I was stop and go, stop and go, stop and go, completely out of breath, completely tired and exhausted. I wasn't energized, like return on life from the hike when I was done. I came home and went to bed and went to sleep. I was so tired. I thought, oh my gosh, like this is not a good way to live my life in terms of return on life. And so what I did was I said, okay, each time I hike, I'm going to get better and better and better. And so the goal was to do at least one hour a week of physical exercise of hiking on a Sunday. That was my target. And that was a big stretch goal for me, Randy, was one hour a week of accountability that I'm going to commit one hour a week out of 168 hours in a week. I'm going to commit one hour to, to, to health and fitness. And, and that was a stretch for me. And then I consistently good. Now I average today about 100 kilometers, 60 miles a week of hiking. Um, I'm about 40 hours a week, uh, according to my schedule and my All Trails app that I metric here uh, on my watch. Um, and so I'm um, last year, interesting story. I was reaching out to a friend of mine and he said, Darren, I've been following you on your social media channels. And it seems like you're really consistent with all this hiking that you're doing. And you're part of this hiking group in Vancouver, Canada. He goes, how's that going for you? Like, it's going really, really well. He goes, I want to invite you to come with me. My 40th birthday is coming up in 2023. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be hiking Mount Kilimanjaro with a small group of people. And uh, there's costs involved. And I'd like you to come consider joining us at Kilimanjaro. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm not that guy. I don't identify genetically. I'm not an athlete. I'm not some sports guy. You know, I don't play on any sports teams. I'm just not wired that way to climb 19,340 feet and do one of the highest mountains on the planet next to Mount Kilimanjaro. I'm just not that guy. I'm not genetically wired that way. And he goes, it has nothing to do with that, Darren. It has to do with your mindset. And he goes, Darren, let me, let me, he says, listen, you like to connect with people. So let me give you guys name and number in Phoenix, Arizona. His name is Mike Armstrong. I want you to call this guy named Mike Armstrong. 
So I said, okay, well, who's Mike Armstrong? He goes, just call this guy and talk to him about uh, Mount Kilimanjaro and ask what his backstory is. So I call this guy up, just cold call the guy up through my buddy randomly, call the guy up. I said, hi, Mike, my name is Darren Jack. We've never met. We have a mutual friend in common. He asked me to give you a call. If you've got a few minutes, I want to ask you about Mount Kilimanjaro. What can you tell me about it? And he goes, well, I suggest that you do it. And I said, why? He goes, well, Darren, he goes, I'm legally blind. I'm 100% legally blind. And I've climbed Mount Everest and also I've climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. And I've also done Mount Everest base camp. And I said, okay, wait a second here, Mike. I'm trying to make sense of this. You are 100% legally blind. He goes, yeah, I have fake eyeballs. I have porcelain eyeballs. I lost my eyesight at 23 from a genetic disease. And they had to take my eyes out and put uh, fake eyes in my eyes. I said, but how the heck can you climb a mountain? He goes, my guide in front of me, by the way, I was unassisted. My guide did not touch me the whole trip. He had a bear bell. And I followed the bear bell all the way up Mount Kilimanjaro and all the way up Mount Everest Base Camp. And so complete transformational shift in my mind, like a complete different context. I'm thinking, wait a second, if a guy who's 100% legally blind can climb Mount Kilimanjaro, all excuses are equal, then what's my excuse if all excuses are equal? <laughs> and that was a turning point for me. So he knew that that my buddy was going to have to convince me and and debate with me about my belief system about me climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. So what he did is he said, just call Mike, my friend Mike, and he gave me a different reference check. And then I realized, okay, my life is difficult compared to what? So rather than him trying to convince me, he's like, I'm just going to have you call Mike Armstrong, have a conversation with him and get to know his backstory. <laughs> that was wow. a turning point in my life. Wow. Wow, wow. Now, you're also climbing for a cause. What's your cause? Yeah, so behind me, you see a link, L-Y-2-N-K, which stands for Leaders Yielding to New Knowledge. It's our international foundation that Tiffany and I created. Uh, it's a registered charity in Canada and the United States of America. Uh, we are actually, um, we build schools for some of the most impoverished children. This is Peter and uh, Jonathan behind me. And there are two of our children in our school. We have 318 children right now from preschool to grade six in Liberia, West Africa, which is one of the poorest countries on planet Earth uh, to the United Nations who reports that. And um, so what we do is we take people hiking now because during COVID, I started to really hike a lot and I hike a lot now. And I have people all over the world, whether I'm in Vancouver, Canada, or I'm in the Okanagan Valley of British Columbia, or I'm in the United States, wherever I'm traveling, I put into my calendar now to hike. And I use All Trails app. And so what we're doing now is we do a thing called E2E, Elevate to Educate. And I bring people out hiking. They go to hikingfundraiser.com. They sign up for hikingfundraiser.com. They pay a small registration fee. We collect that money. We give them a tax receipt through Link Foundation. And then we collect that money and that money goes then to build a school project. So you're not just coming out hiking to network and collaborate and be in community and be out in nature and listen to the birds and feel inspired and get that return on life. But you're also putting your fingerprints on a project that's going to create a ripple of impact as a legacy. So people come out and now you're a part of a mission and a movement to help some of the most impoverished children on the planet. So with Link Foundation and E2E Elevate to Educate, we do these hiking fundraisers and we build schools from the most impoverished people on the planet. And then we unfold all that and document it on our social media channels. And so you get a chance to say, my hard-earned financial dollars, I paid a registration fee or I became a corporate sponsor for E2E. And my hard-earned financial dollars now are building a school. And here's the school because we show it on our social media channels. And then in 2024, we'll be doing one to two times a year humanitarian trips where we bring people over. And you get a chance through Link Foundation to go and actually see and meet the children, meet the parents and walk in the village and meet the people and uh, be in conversation and connection and community 
and be part of this mission. So we're branding and expanding right now, E2E. And so it's the, the inspiring conversations. You talk about return on life. Imagine people come out and they hike, but they're hiking for a cause. And that cause and, and that school will be around longer than their life. So somebody's like, I'm just coming out hiking, but now they're, they can talk to their children or their grandchildren, nieces and nephews and saying, listen, I went hiking and part of my registration went to build a school for some of the most impoverished children on the planet. And so it just gives you that return on life of you feel that you've really made a difference because some people feel like, who am I, man? I'm just living paycheck to paycheck, man. I'm just grinding it out. I'm just trying to do the best I can in my life, take care of my family, be safe. Who am I? I'm not, I'm not some significant person in life, man, I, I'm just trying to take care of my, my family and put a, keep the food over roof over my head, right? This way people get a chance to be part of something that really makes a difference, but also it's a legacy for them. And they get a chance to say, I'm a part of that. I'm a part of Link Foundation. I'm a part of E2E. Wow. If that is not an endorsement for this podcast, Return on Life, nothing is. And um, that is powerful. Wow. That is powerful. Thank you for sharing that, Darren. That was amazing. Yeah. So you've got a lot of big ideas. You've had a lot of big ideas. Have you come up with your biggest idea yet? Or do you think that's still to come? No, I think it's still to come. I, I think, you know, it's interesting because I'll give an example. So Tatiana and I set a goal to uh, contribute $100 million to global philanthropy over the next decade. So by Thursday, August 5th, 2032, which is my 60th birthday, we've committed $100 million dollars. And so I went to some of the different family offices that I know and ultra high net worth families. And I'm sharing with them that what my target is, right? By my 60th birthday, we'll contribute $100 million towards global philanthropy through Link Foundation. And all of them said to me, that's it? $100 million? And I'm thinking that's a stretch goal for myself, $100 million US dollars. It's a stretch goal for me, right? It's like Elon Musk talking about going to Mars. It's not about how you get to Mars, it's how do you get back from Mars? That's the conversation they're not having yet. Everybody's talking about getting to Mars, but how do you get back from Mars, right? Round trip. And so I'm in these conversations with people and people are like, oh my gosh, I was with a family, a very well-known family recently that contributes $50 million a year to global philanthropy, anonymously. $50 million a year, they do. And they've been, they're a very well-known generational family. And so what I realize it depends on who you get around is, it depends on how your thinking is in terms of how big of a game you're playing in the world. And so the thing is, some people you get around, they're going to think you're absolutely crazy. Oh my gosh, you're absolutely crazy for thinking this way. But really in my heart, I realize that I want to create a ripple of impact to transform the human spirit of humanity. Mm. And so it stretches me. And what it is, it's kind of like climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. For me, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro is self-actualization. It's human growth and potential. It's what is my potential? So for me to go ahead and say, we're going to do $100 million to Link Foundation over the next decade towards global philanthropy, what is my potential? And from my experience, most people never see their potential, never even tap what their human potential is. If you would have told me, Randy, two years ago that I'd be climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, I would have laughed. I was like, Randy, you're talking to the wrong guy. Like, why would you, why would you even bring that up in conversation? Like, I'm just, that, 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 that just, I, this just so foreign to me. And now I'm thinking, oh my gosh, because of all the training development we've been doing over the last several months, I'm ready for Mount Kilimanjaro. And I was just the other day with a good friend of mine, Chandra Hill, who's an ultra athlete. So you take Olympic athletes, she's actually even a higher level than Olympic athletes. I didn't know there was another level above Olympic athletes, but she's an ultra athlete. 
And she just did, um, in 26 days, she did 20 Ironmans, back-to-back 20 Ironmans in 26 days. And she's going again this fall to do it in Switzerland, where she's going to do, in 26 days, 20 back-to-back Ironmans. And I used to think an Ironman was a big deal. Like I used to put people on a pedestal, like, oh, my gosh, you're an Ironman runner? Wow, that's huge. This woman defines the odds of just taking 20 Ironmans back-to-back over a 26-day period. Mm. It's a whole different level of thinking. Wow. I'm going to come back to that. The, the two gifts that we get as children that are so amazing. We talked about one already, curiosity. Yes. As a child, we have so much curiosity, yet over time that gets stymied. The other one is our imagination. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we think of $100 million, imagine that. Well, imagine whatever. And we shut down our imaginations as we grow. So when we're young, I mean, you probably, one day you're a firefighter, the next day you're a doctor, the next day you're going to be an architect, the next day you're going to be, you know, you could fly. (laughs) Yet over time, we shut these down. And I have a quote that when you turn off your curiosity and shut down your imagination, you sabotage the greatness within. You just shared how powerful it is if we just think bigger, but really turning off our past and thinking of whatever we could become Mm -hmm. is really our imagination at work. And our imagination can be anything and everything. And I see that in you every day, Darren. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you see that in yourself? You know, I do now because of different people around all the time, because we're a network of conversations. And what I've discovered from my experience is that whatever we really, really want in our lives, it's all just about having conversations with people. It's leaning into the conversation and having the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I like to stay curious all the time. Curiosity is a big thing for me. Like, even when I like flying, I love flying. And I'm always fascinated by how the this amount of weight of an aircraft, you know, if we weighed the aircraft on the on the terminal or the tarmac, how much that would weigh. And all the luggage that's being put on there and all the, the passengers, all mm-hmm. the human weight. And then the thing just takes off in the air and it's flying. And, and like I was just in Detroit, Michigan recently, and I was having breakfast with, uh, with a gentleman. And I'm thinking to myself, here I'm in Detroit, Michigan, USA. And later this evening, I'll be sleeping in my bed on the other side of North America. And, I, and when you really think about that, here I'm in Detroit, Michigan, right? Or I can be in Vancouver, Canada. And tonight I'll go to bed in London, England, or I'll wake up tomorrow morning in Africa. It's just mind-boggling to really think about that of, of human invention of what we can do and how we can, and we're just sky, you know, just shooting across the planet. And it's just amazing how with technology, you know, we're a global village today of technology and curiosity about that. That I think today, like if we look at this decade, think of all the things that have not even been invented yet, right? Think of all the things in the next five to ten years that are going to be invented that are not even invented yet. And, and how, how great we've got it today with all the tools and things that we can use in our lives for, to live our lives. And yet so much has not even been invented yet. And what's the next generation going to invent? And I look at with our school, Link, Link Foundation, what are these children who are some of the most impoverished children on the planet who've now been given a gift called education? They've been given a gift of a book mm-hmm. to read. What's going to happen in these children's lives who have now been given this gift to actually be able to learn how to read and write? to be able to learn how to be, have an education. Because without this Link Foundation and Link Leadership Academy, these children would never have ever went to school. Yeah. What's going to happen with their human potential over the next 5, 10, 20, 30 years? What's going to happen? It's, it's just fascinating if you look at that from a case study perspective 
of what can happen to these people because you gave them an opportunity. Sue Urquhart in that Toastmasters meeting, here she's doing a general evaluation and she brings me up in the general evaluation, which I wasn't on the meeting agenda. And, and, and who would ever know that she planted a seed in my mind that has just made you know, incredible measure, measure of results around the planet. Yeah. And, and she was just there that night, just being a Toastmaster, just being, a, you know, a participant in the program. But she said something where she believed more in me than I believed in myself. Yeah. And that just transformed my life and took me in a whole different direction after that night. Amazing. Amazing. And, and when you're talking about, you know, the default of everything in life is, is, is not where we should be. So doubt the default because we just automatically go to default and we should not be doing that. So original thinkers doubt the default. And I think you're an original thinker on so many levels and, uh, you know, well, you doubt know the default drives innovation everywhere. Yeah. Which is who you are, Darren. Yeah, thank you. You know, it's interesting. I, I've started to take up nighttime hiking, night hiking. And I recommend people do this in a group. Don't do it by yourself unless you really know the trail and do a marked trail. There's safety protocols involved with this. But you know what's interesting about this is people always ask me when I take them out nighttime hiking because I do a lot of scenario planning training for Mount Kilimanjaro. And people always ask me, one of the frequent last questions is they go, Darren, is there wildlife or wild animals out here? And I said, yeah, we're going out in the forest. And, and I said, here's something to consider. The fear is real. So feel your body sensations of the fear, right? Let honor and celebrate and appreciate your body for feeling fear because your brain's job is protection and survival. So allow it to protect you and keep you safe. So allow you to feel the fear. So the fear is real, but the threat is not. There's no evidence right now that there's any wild animals going to attack you right now. There's no physical evidence in our proximity that you're going to be attacked. So I always say to people, where does this show up in your life? The fear is real, but the threat is not. You're making phone calls. You're following up with people. You're networking. You're prospecting. You're recruiting. You're having conversations with people. You're dating. The fear is real. Oh my gosh, I'm going on my first date. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm going to a listing appointment. Oh my gosh, I'm doing this. I'm scared. Honor and celebrate those emotions and those feelings. Give thanks to your body for doing that. Right? That's your body's job. But there's no fear that you're going to die. No. Fear is a friend and yes. a motivator. A lot of people, I, I would say majority of people see it as a foe, but really when you know and understand the fear, it becomes a friend and a motivator. It's always been for me. Um, it took me some time to think about that. It took me some time to work through that. You know, it's, it's you said, I always ask people, what is fear? And people go, well, it's false evidence appearing real. I said, well, that's an acronym. What is fear? If you and I were to go speak in an elementary school in front of an assembly of children in, the, in a gymnasium, and a little boy or a little girl raises their hand and says, Randy, Mr. Sir, what is fear? And you got to relate to a kid in elementary school. I always say fear is an anticipation of pain or it's anticipated pain. So I always ask people, if fear is an anticipation of pain or anticipated pain, where does it live? Is it in the past? Is it in the present? Or is it in the future? Well, it lives in the future. So if it lives in the future because it's an anticipated pain, because our thoughts create our feelings, our feelings create our actions and our actions create results, but our thoughts and our feelings are internal. Our actions and our results are external in our life because fear does not live in action. No. Well said, well said. Hey, well, let's wrap up uh, this amazing podcast, the return on life podcast with Sir Darren Jacqueline. And uh, we'll do a little bit of a speed round here. Sure. So 
I think I know the answer to this already, but what do you do, Darren, to let your hair down? What do you do on a day that you just want to like, let it all hang out? What is the thing of choice for you? Uh, you know, I watch YouTube videos, uh, documentaries. Um, I find that inspiring to watch documentaries on people's life stories. So I do that to chill. Um, hiking is a big thing for me. I, I, you know, I love doing that, just being out in nature. Uh, or I'll sit by a lake or a stream of doing that. Uh, or being near water. I'm a water person. I love being by water. Um, so that's what I usually do. Or sometimes I'll even read a book or I'll journal. Wow. Cool. And how about uh, a favorite band? Do you have a favorite band? Are you Def Leppard? Def Leppard. <laughs> love I, it, love Def it. Leppard. I, I, I watch them when I'm working on projects and in front of my computer. I'll actually go to YouTube and pick up the Hysteria concert live in Las Vegas 2019. And I let that play in the background, all those songs. I've, I've wore out those audio cassette tapes and CDs, but, but Def Leppard, I've seen them multiple times in concert. One of the greatest bands, I think, ever in the world. It's still together almost 50 years. But yeah. just the, if you study the backstory of the band, how they took the money they made and they put it into studio time and rehearsing time. They didn't go out and buy, you know, expensive cars and lifestyle and like a rock band. They poured into their craft of their being artists. And I have a lot of respect and admiration for that band. You know, this is, that's an interesting point. Leadership in a band. Like think about all the bands that have come and gone and yet they're not together. Why are some bands still together? Why are some bands still relevant? It's mm -hmm. a leadership decision. It's a leadership question. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Just dumb it down to the simplest thing. It's leadership. Yeah. Okay. Text, chat, or face-to-face? Face-to-face. I find, uh, you know, text messaging, email is great. Instant messaging is great. I find it impersonal. I also find it transactional. I find them in front of somebody. It's relational. When you're using technology, it's transactional. Okay. Audible or book? Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm very visual as a learner, highly visual. Um, I find now in terms of compressing time, because I'm on airplanes a lot, I travel a lot, I listen to a lot of audio books, uh, but I still read every day. I still like to read, but audio probably depends on what's going on week to week. Audio probably may, may be more than, than book, but it, it, I, I try to balance it out as much as I can, read and audio. Okay. And last question, this is an interesting one. If you were a scratch and sniff sticker so if you're a scratch and sniff sticker and you scratch the sticker what would the smell be good question uh strawberry comes to mind and i would say also probably the smell of a, a fresh waterfall out in nature when you smell fresh mountain air or glacier water mm -hmm. and just that smell i was smelt it earlier this morning when i was out hiking actually but just that 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 pure freshness coming onto your face that smell being out in nature in a forest with that mountain water coming off a a, a, a stream is just or a waterfall is just incredible mm, love it love it hey darren thank you for being an amazing guest on return of life podcast i'm so grateful for you as a friend and of course doing this podcast has been amazing so thank you so I'm much for to be here thank you my pleasure to be able to be in service awesome have an amazing day well done, Darren. It's great. Awesome. Thank you.